Welcome to the Ultimate Fun Jobs Podcast, where our awesome guests share their incredible stories and success tips about some of the most amazing jobs on planet Earth. Here's your host, Dave Mendonca. Today's episode is a fun one. Our guest is Carly Waters. She's a very successful literary agent at PS Literary. So if you want to become the next superstar rock star lit agent, Carly is definitely the lady you want to learn from. All right, without further ado, let's get to the conversation right now. All right, Carly, tell us about your origin story. How did you become this rock star superstar lit agent? Well, thank you for calling me a rock star. Um, I, you know, I feel like I have a pretty traditional path into, into publishing in the sense that I really wanted to do this job from the minute that I heard about it. Once, as soon as I figured out what a literary agent was, I thought that was definitely for me. So I did an undergrad degree in English language and literature at Queen's University in Kingston. Thought maybe I wanted to be a teacher. And I was like, I don't know if that's really my calling. And so once I kind of figured out what the book business was, that there was a whole kind of industry behind books and kind of thought about how they actually make it to the bookstore shelves, I kind of started peeling back the layers and I also graduated into the recession. So all of my peers were like, how are we going to get jobs? We all have to go do more school. So I was part of that cohort where it was like, we all had to go get a master's. We had to wait a couple of years for the job market to pick up again. So I ended up doing a master's degree in publishing studies. I moved to the UK, moved to London, and I did a master's in publishing studies, which was essentially a business degree for English grads. So it was teaching us sales, marketing, publicity, editorial, project management. Um, and then through that program, I was able to get an internship through an alumni and then eventually get a job um, at the Darley Anderson Agency, which is a literary agency uh, based in London. So I worked there while I was doing my master's and just really fell in love with, with the job. Um, I worked there for a year and then I came back to North America in 2010 and then really just been working at PS Literary as an agent ever since. Wow. Your mom was a librarian, right? That's how you got into books? Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. she was an elementary school librarian and she's retired now. And yep, she was the one that made sure I had a library card at a very young age. <laughs> I think she had to write my name on the back of the library card because I couldn't even write my name on my very first library card. So she she's the one that started it all. That's so cool. So the UK, isn't that like the the mecca for like publishing literary, like, you know, books, all that sort of thing. So you, you had intent right away. OK, that's where the that's the place to be to learn. Right. Yeah, exactly. So I was thinking about whether I wanted to go to New York or go to London kind of just toying with you know where I wanted to study there are some post-grad programs in Canada a couple of them were college courses and one of them it was out of Vancouver and so I really as I said I just wanted to study from a really big center so I looked at New York and then eventually just settled on London you know just being a commonwealth country it was just a little bit easier to kind of head over that way and I also thought if I'm going to do something I'm going to go far and you know obviously make it a, an experience while I'm learning. Gotcha. So this path that you were on, so, you know, you went to different places uh, to get some experience. Um, is it the same kind of path that, say, someone wanting to be a lit agent would do today? You know, intern someplace, make connections, that kind of thing? Yeah, it's a very, very apprenticeship type of job. And I think a lot of people think it sounds like a cool job. It is a cool job. I get to work with awesome, you know, creators, negotiate book deals, all that fun stuff. Um, and so 
it is something that a lot of people think that they can do, they can do, but the reality of doing the job and the reality of doing the job is, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot harder sometimes, uh, than it, than it looks maybe. So there is a number of steps that I think people can take. I do think that you have to intern or work with somebody to kind of apprentice and learn no matter what age you're at, whether you're kind of mid-career wanting to transition, you know, there's a lot of people who have been librarians or booksellers, um, you know, have had other jobs and they want to kind of come into the lit agent world. You still have to intern. You know, there are 50 year old interns out there for sure. Okay. So you do the interning. Now tell me, you mentioned the hard stuff. So what, hold my hand here. What, what are the hard things about your job? Right. So the hard things would be essentially telling people things they don't want to hear. That's kind of something that isn't very fun, meaning like I have to reject a lot of people, right? Whether it's authors that are pitching me, I can't take every client on, um, you know, every author on as a client. So I reject a lot of people and even my clients, you know, like say, you know, we're not maybe getting the book deal that they want to, that they were hoping for, or we get the cover and they're like, I hate that cover. And, you know, we have to talk through all of these like you know, challenging and difficult things. And so ultimately it does usually just increase the bond and the relationship that I have with my client as we trust each other and kind mm. of work through these situations together. But yeah, I'm I'm often full of bad news, <laughs> but I uh, I also get to make people's day when I have great news. Tell me about some of the worst submissions you've received, like query ideas, book ideas, uh, any special ones? You know, I let a lot of that just like slip out of my mind because okay. I've been reading query letters for I don't even know how many years now, almost 15 years of reading these pitch letters. And so I think they've gotten much better over the years. One of the reasons I think they've got a lot better over the years is just access to the internet you know, and that information of like, here's a template, just follow this template, right. you can do it. Um, and I also host a podcast called The Shit No One Tells You About Writing, where we give query letter advice and we tell you how to write it. And so there is just so much information out there on the internet um, to help people. Have I got bad query letters? Definitely. If it's just, even if it's things like, you know, spelling my name incorrectly, right? Like it's just kind of a bummer Ooh. and I don't... And, I, you know, yeah. I don't like to hold everything against everybody, um, you know, and so that would just be like, ah, you know, a knock against you. I, I have a lot of sympathy for writers because I know it's a very opaque industry. So I really like to err on the side of, you know, forgiving spelling mistakes and things like that and, and knowing okay. it's a it's a hard business to get in. But I also feel like there's so much information on the Internet. There's not really an excuse not to do a great job. Right. It's interesting. Like I know I've like I'm very fortunate. I've been a published author, and I know the process of the query letters and all that sort of thing. And writers out there don't get it. You have to make people money. So when you, you got to think to yourself, is this idea commercial, especially nonfiction? So now I know that. So I know during the day when I started pitching to lit agents like yourself, I just I didn't think from that point of view. So now on your end. It's like, yo, man, you got to make this interesting. First off, spell my name correctly. You know, we'll start there and then give me an idea that's going to have an impact on this world. So so that's cool. Like, OK, so it's nice to get your take on things. Now, hold my hand again. Uh, a day in the life of Carly as a lit agent. What are we talking about in terms of when you wake up in the morning, you go to work? Uh, what does that look like for you? Yeah. So I've actually always worked remotely. So it's just always been a get out of bed. I have kids now. So it's like shuffle them out the door, make my coffee, sit down to work. And really every day is a huge mixture of things. And so 
like anybody in this day and age, there's a lot of Zooms and that type of thing. But I try to create some control over my week. And what I do is I have a calendar system where I don't take calls on Mondays and Fridays. Those are like my thinking days or my catch up days. And then I only take calls on Tuesday, Wednesdays and Thursdays. So that frees me up to, you know, work on proposals and get into those meteor things when I actually, you know, have dedicated time to do it. And so I'm really, my day is filled with talking to clients, talking to editors, working on contracts. Um, you know, I have my own podcast that we record. It's not daily, it's weekly, but you know, we're, right. we're thinking about that. And I'm on social media a lot. You know, one of, I feel like one of my jobs is to, and not every agent feels this way, but I feel like one of my jobs as a, you know, a publishing professional is to educate authors and put good information out there and be a resource for authors. So they know that when they're hearing information from me, that they know it's quality information. So I like to think of myself as a, a thought leader or a communicator of information, again, in an opaque industry. So I take that responsibility really seriously. And so I'm often uh, engaging with people on Instagram talking about the business. Well, that's great that you leverage your thought leadership like that. You're in service because at the end of the day, personally, I think you're a dream maker. When you give a green light to something, it, it makes that person's day. And yeah, you're the grim reaper too sometimes, but uh, that's the stuff that lights you up when you, you, you know, you green light stuff. So let, let, let's talk about negotiating. You mentioned that earlier. So this is a skill. If you want to be a lit agent, you have to know, how did you develop that? Yeah, that's a great, it's a really great question. So it's, it's not really something that you can learn without doing, you know, and I think a lot of people need to be put in this situation in order to do it. So you can watch somebody do it, you know, shadow somebody, whatever you want to call it in terms of, you know, watching their emails and, and kind of studying them, but everybody's also going to develop their own technique because we're all individual human beings and negotiation is incredibly personal and the publishing industry is very personal. And so the, the way that I frame my sentences to the way that I think about things, I'm pretty strategic. You know, I'm going to think about the entire trajectory of the negotiation while I'm in the first stage of the negotiation to be like, I need to save these puzzle pieces for later, depending on the outcome of this first round of negotiation. And so what do I keep in my back pocket? What do I lean on? What type of data am I going to leverage here to kind of get the best outcome? And so it's a lot of moving parts. I really always say that you know, we make the best decisions we can at the time with the information we have at the time, because I think a lot of negotiations end and you can be like, I could have done this or that, or, you know, you can always look back and be like, improvements could have been made, but negotiation is what's happening in the moment, right? It's, yeah. it's only as much as the other party can give you and in, in the thoughts and the information that you can pull together at the time. So it's a pretty layered and nuanced thing, but I do feel like it's something that you learn by doing. And you have to remember that you're negotiating with other people, yeah. But they, in my instance, I'm hired by an author and the person that I'm negotiating with works for a publisher. And so that's a multi-billion dollar entity, not each business, but like, you know, as an industry, like I'm negotiating against the man, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and I feel like I know this is a deal breaker for my client, meaning like whether, you know, depending on how the payout schedule is or how much they're getting paid, like whether they can pay their bills or whether they have to take wow. on a second job, you mm -hmm. know, whether like 
and and it I'm not to say not to say that it doesn't matter to the editors, but like they still get their paycheck every other week, you know, and my clients are the one that I'm fighting for to get them money to be able to let go of a second job or freelance less or, you know what I mean, take on less journalism projects so that they can write this book. So I always feel like I'm fighting the good fight. Sure. <laughs> um, and that, you know, always fuels me and keeps me going. Any like tense negotiating? Did you ever have any situations where it just was like you you're at a stalemate with the publisher like, on that side of things? I mean, there always is because I'm always going to push more than they're going to give, right? Like no uh, no publisher ever says yes to everything that I ask, right? And if they if they you know give a bit, then I'm going to take that mile, you know. So yeah, I mean, in terms of tense negotiate negotiations. Um, they all feel tense in the moment. And then you can kind of look back and be like, again, the best outcome was had for everybody. And, and the best outcome of a negotiation is what everybody's willing to live with. Right. And so they're not always going to be perfectly happy. Maybe I'm not always going to be perfectly happy, but I don't always get what I ask for. And there's a lot of things, you know, obviously we can get into in terms of like AI and NFTs and, you know, film and TV rights and podcast rights. You know, there's like all That's these cool. things and new media that we're grappling with that we have to set authors up for success in this future right. that doesn't exist yet. And so that's the work we're doing now with these contracts. Come on. Isn't that cool when you can negotiate like TV, movie, podcast <laughs> rights and you, you nail a deal for your author and their book is, you know, translated in a bunch of languages, becomes a TV show or something. That's got to be a thrill of a lifetime. It, it is. And it's one of those things that I'm more familiar with it now, but it doesn't really get old, you know, like it's really exciting to think, obviously making an author's dream come true, leveraging the content into new media, reaching people in different languages. Um, you know, I have had some books published in over 40 languages, you know, that's really cool to think that many readers, you know, millions of people around the world have access to that story and that storytelling. And to me, that's just the power of storytelling, right? That it can translate, literally translate into other cultures. I just love the impact of books. Uh, you know, you, you write it once and it has legs for decades and you are a part of that. You're like the bridge uh, getting that out into the universe. Like that must be such a comforting and satisfying feeling knowing that you help that author get that voice out there, get that narrative out there and it touches so many people. Yeah, it's honestly the reason that I do the job. I feel immense pressure in the sense of like wanting to make my author's dreams come true and feeling like I'm carrying the weight of all of their dreams all the mm. time, you know, because everybody has big dreams and they're ambitious and that's why I love working with them. Um, so I do feel like, you know, I, I put the pressure on myself to make sure that I can deliver for them and, and coach them through the situations to have the best outcomes. But really it's, um, you know, the power of the written word is, is real and uh, it's mm. really incredible. So let's talk about some other skills you need as a lit agent. You already talked about negotiating, uh, communication, relationship building. What other things do people out there need uh, to succeed in this job? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the one of the biggest things is being a tastemaker, you know, and really thinking about like, what does it mean to be a curator of taste? And what does it mean to have confidence that when I'm selecting one of a million, you know, that's, I'm exaggerating, but like one of yeah. thousands, if not tens of thousands out of the slush pile, like kind of where these pitches go, that I have the confidence that this is the project that is going to make it. You know, there's just a lot of confidence and that taste making ability 
has to be kind of innate. You know, it's not really, it is right. something that I think you can kind of curate and, and kind of a muscle that you can tone. But I also feel like it's something that some people are just born with. I think when you look at some people, you're like, they have a sense of style. And you look at somebody else, you're like, they don't really have a sense of style. You right. know, it's like, it is, a, it is something that you can um, learn. But, but a lot of people are just built with this, with this strong sense of guiding the culture, guiding the taste, um, and knowing that they're on the button of something. And and those are the people that are really going to go far because that's something that you can't teach. It's interesting what you just described there. It reminds me of like music producers that listen to tons and tons of demo tapes. They listen to that one song. That's a hit. That is a hit. So you're talking about taste. That's how, you, I guess it's just something that's in you that you could pick out you know what, this book hits that, 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 this hasn't been done before. I think this will resonate with many people, right? Kind of like that. Yeah. And it's also just having a survey of the marketplace, right? So it's like reading a lot, published books, going through all these unpublished manuscripts, thinking about what does a future consumer need? Because we also talked about in publishing how things take time to come out into the world. And so mm -hmm. we're always trying to create content for a future world that doesn't exist yet. So a lot of books take one to two years to come out. And so even with nonfiction, it can be three to four because if, you know, there's the writing of the project involved. So we don't know where we are going to be as a culture three, four years from now. And we also want books to stand the test of time. We do want books, people to kind of come back to them 10 years from now. So part of that kind of being very aware of the zeitgeist, paying attention to culture, paying attention to media, watching shows, listening to podcasts. Like I feel like it is my job to be a consumer of lots of different types of media because we are competing with Netflix. We are competing with magazines. Like we're competing for people's leisure time. And so if we're going to compete for leisure time in an entertainment space, we have to be creating entertaining projects. This is a perfect segue into my next uh, question, Carly. Um, there is so much disruption out there. Okay. Mm -hmm. You're talking about Netflix. You're talking about Apple, internet, AI, all these different things are taking a bite out of the publishing industry. You just talked about how a book could take four years to freaking come out. Whereas you can go on, you know, on Netflix and check out a movie today. So what is the future of publishing? The future of a literary agent making a living. Okay. Cause as you know, things are changing. So what do you see? Like how can lit agents, stay relevant and be able to support themselves? Yeah, it's an interesting question. You know, I think like a lot of media businesses, there's a lot of conglomeration and it's kind of like riding the right wave at the right time. And so with us, you know, it's working with clients where we feel like they are going to stand the test of time, that they have the skills and the chops, you know, working with the people that we, again, feel like we're going to be tastemakers and, and have these projects that are going to live on. Um, in terms of where I think my industry is going or like my role is going, I feel like my job is always going to be literary agent, you know, literary first. But I do feel like a huge part of my job has always been thinking about, you know, selling the translation rights, selling the audio rights, pod, now there's like podcast stuff, TV, film, and really just thinking about if I'm going to work on a property, how can we just maximize it for all of that subsidiary revenue, right? Because if you're creating a great project, it's, it needs to be an audiobook. How can you know? How can this be a podcast? You know, selling it for TV and film. I've sold over fifteen um, adaptation rights. You know, options for for film and television. How do all of them come to fruition? No, but you know, it's just about 
how can we just really try to take this individual IP that an author has worked so hard on and not just, you know, throw it out there in the world and see what happens. It's like, let's treat this as the gem of a concept it is, you know, this storytelling, if it's done right, Mm -hmm. can transcend to other forms of media. So I think the future of agents is, again, I, I feel like I'll always be a literary agent, but there's a lot of agencies that have podcast departments and TV film departments and and just, again, maximizing the content because writing isn't going away, you know? Like, yes, AI is out there. We all know it, but it isn't going to replace the creativity of a human being because it is trained to produce generic content. Do you know what I mean? Right. So we have a long way to go with that. All right. This is great. So AI. So say somebody sends you a manuscript, totally AI gener generated. Can you spot that? Like, do you think if it's, if it's tweaked enough, we all know AI spits out very general stuff, but if you customize it a little bit, I don't know, it could be quite convincing. So as a literary agent, like how, how do you spot the phonies? That's a good question. I mean, I assume that people are using AI. What I question is a few things. Um, I think what rubs me the wrong way is that a lot of these AI systems have been scraped by illegally taking other people's books and using that as a data mining system to create the content that shows up on these AI platforms. So I would be pretty upset with writers who think that they can take essentially a program that has been trained on other people's works and then pass that off as their own because it's not straight plagiarism i understand that and there's a lot of nuances when we think about copyright law but is that the type of person that i want to work with no you know what i mean like i just don't think they're taking the craft seriously i don't think they're taking the creative labor of authors seriously to want to put that on my desk there's a couple other things when we think about the legality of it which is that there are warranty and indemnity clauses in contracts that say I wrote this like you literally when you sign your publishing contract um, have to say I wrote this and so if you're using AI then you didn't write that and so you can't sign off on your publishing contract that would you know what I mean like you'd be falsifying yeah. that so that's the legality step um, which authors would just be completely shooting themselves in the foot and for what just to like you couldn't come up with an idea like you had to falsify it like I just don't understand why somebody would make it that far in that process you know. Okay, this is an interesting debate. So can a writer use AI for ideas, just to generate ideas, not text, not paragraphs, but ideas? Um, type in ChatGPT, uh, hey, can you give me five idea, five book ideas for uh, cooking an omelet? And it gives you five different ideas. Is that bad? And then you write your own book. It's your own content but you got the idea for it from AI. Is that a bad thing? No, because it's no different than Google, right? Like we have okay. so many tools these yeah. days to aggregate content. So there's nothing wrong with that. It's the idea of passing it off as your own saying, I wrote this when you didn't write it because there's a lot of AI assisted tools out there. For example, spell check, what we use every day sure. in Word, that is AI programming, right? Spell check. So there are things that we know that you know have artificial intelligence towards them that do improve our quality of life but when we're thinking about creativity and monetizing creativity you have to be able to sign off on this and say this is my work all right good to know uh forgot to ask you this part so viewers and listeners will want to know this how much uh do literary agents make 
Right. So our job is commission oriented. So there is no kind of retainer fee or anything like that. So when I take on a project, that's me putting myself on the line saying, I believe in this project. I have to go off and sell this in order to make any money. So in the book world, 15%, 15% commission is what's normal in that space. And so we don't make any money until the book sells. And so money flows through the agency as an intermediary. Agencies take their commission and then pass the money from the publisher or the production company onto the client. So are you happy with the way it's structured, the pay structure, and generally how publishing works in like in general, like the fact it takes so long to pump out a book? I know I've been frustrated in the past when like some of my traditionally published books took forever. So are you... Is there, do you have any ideas on how to change stuff or are you comfortable the way things are uh, just the way they are? Yeah, I'm definitely not happy with the way things are. I think um, one of the things that's pretty challenging for authors and agents is the the structure of the payout. So once a contract is signed, um, usually it's you get a third of the money on signing the agreement, a third when you deliver the manuscript, and then a third when the book comes out. Over the past number of years, publishers have been drawing that out into fourths or even fifths if it's a multi-book deal, which makes everybody's life harder, right? It's like the author's getting less, you know, obviously divided out over time, the agent's making less commission. So it's harder for young agents to start out in their career, you know, if they're just not able to kind of make more money um, through that. So I would love to see things front loaded, meaning like getting more money on signing, more money on delivery, um, because what ends up happening is we're cash flow running that business for them, right? It's like if they want to, if because if they're holding on to that money and not paying out until pub or six months after pub or a year after pub, we're essentially funding their business. And that's not how this model should work. So I think things should be front loaded for sure. I think that would solve creator, some creator problems. Um, you know, and I think there's there's a lot of things to think about in terms of self-publishing, traditional publishing, you know, what's the right model for everybody. But I think publishers are kind of at a point where they want to work with a lot of authors who have big platforms, meaning like big Instagram followings or big TikTok followings or somebody on television. But all of these people who have big platforms, they know how to reach their audience. So what is a publisher bringing to the table that these people can't go, you know, put out a journal, you know, produce a journal by themselves and, you know, sell it as merch or, um, you know, be able to kind of create their own project in terms of, or self-publish something. Like, I think publishers really have to reckon with the idea of what they have to deliver to people who have huge platforms if they require these huge platforms to publish. And the, the traditionally, they've always said like distribution, right? Like we're going to get you into all these bookstores. But again, if all of these Gen Z creators know exactly how to reach their audience, like what are publishers going to be doing for these people? And so I think there's something that's going to have to, we're going to have to reckon with that idea a little bit about, um, the real deliverables in terms of marketing and publicity and, and kind of really what publishers are able to offer larger creators. Carly, you're bang on. Creators don't need Hollywood. They don't need publishers. They could do it themselves if they have a big enough audience and they have distribution, YouTube, self-publishing, social media. So you're totally right. Totally. All right, Carly, um, is there anything else you can uh, offer in terms of tips for someone who wants to make it in your industry? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I would say that this is the type of job, specifically being a literary agent, where there's not going to be an empty seat at the table. You know, it's like you are going to have to like cut down the tree, whittle the branches, build the chair, 
hold the chair up to the table and sit your butt down in the chair. You know, it's like you have to build that opportunity for yourself. And so whether that's interning at a lot of different places, being really active on social media in terms of networking, you know, showing up to in-person events to really make a name for yourself. One of the most important things you can be as a literary agent is memorable, right? Like you want to be somebody that people want to work with. And so there's just so much hustle, so much entrepreneurial spirit that's needed. And so, as I said, not only just looking for an empty chair at the table, that's not enough, right? It's like bringing your own chair to the table and really showing up. Um, that's really one of the most important things. Right on, Carly. Thank you for that. This has been great. Thanks for being on the show. Uh, where can people find out more about you and your podcast and all your great information? Yeah. So I have a website. It's just carlywaters.com. That's waters with two T's. I'm very active on Instagram at carlywaters with two T's. And our podcast is called The Shit No One Tells You About Writing. There's new episodes every Thursday. You can find us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Amazing. Carly, thanks again for being on the show. Thank you. Love the insights from Carly. She's been there. She's done that. The golden wisdom nuggets that she supplied. Like Again, Carly, thank you so much for being on the show. Hopefully you, the viewer or listener, got something from this conversation that was valuable to you on your path towards becoming the next superstar rock star literary agent. All right, that's it for this episode. Feel free to subscribe to my YouTube channel and podcast. Until next time, take good care and have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Ultimate Fun Jobs Podcast. Remember to also check out the Ultimate Fun Jobs YouTube channel and hit the subscribe button. Until next time, have a great week.